All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Hello again, and welcome to Primitive Screwheads Talk Horror. I'm Screwhead Dan. And I'm Screwhead Andrew. And we are here once again to dissect this member and discuss horror movies. Today's horror movie is going to be the 2023 Insidious fourth sequel, fifth movie in the series, Insidious the Red Door, a.k.a. Could This Door Get Any Redder? And the answer <laughs> is no, it cannot. This is a very, very red door. Um, rojo, if you're uh, Spanish. There we go. Uh, anyway, Andrew, how the hell are you doing? What's red in French? I, I don't know, actually. I should know this. Uh-huh. Rose? I was just about Rose? to say Rojo in French. <laughs> Rojo. Uh, what's it in Korean? Rouge. Oh, duh, that. Oh, yeah, Rouge. That oh, God. Sense. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Rouge. Because uh, Mulan Rouge. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like Rouge the Bat, who's white. Oh, that's right. Yes, Rouge the Bat. But, but Rouge the Bat loves Knuckles, the echidna, and Knuckles is red. So, mm, is that... There is we that, go. It's a Will setup. They, won't they? We it's don't a know. Setup. Okay, so I have another tangent before we get started. All right, let's go, um, let's go. So, I'm subscribed to one of this one subreddit called Data is Beautiful, and it basically just kind of gives, like, really nicely presented data in interesting formats, and usually it's, like, very scientific stuff. Sometimes it's interesting stuff. Like, a very common one is someone posting a graph of basically how many job interviews they had, how many jobs they applied to, how many of them ended up in an interview, how many of them were the position offered, that sort of thing. Um, mm. But there was one that was basically graphed according to the tags on the Rule 34 um, site. What is the character, the fictional character, that has the most porn created out of them out of any other character? Is it Rouge the Bat? Um, that is what sparked this discussion because yes, oh. Rouge the Bat was in the top twenty. Oh, okay. So, so, so with so, many so, other Sonic characters. Which all right, was... I want a serious guess. I want a serious guess. Okay. Yeah, serious do, guess. Do, 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 do you know this already, or? Uh, yes, I know this one already. Uh, you know this character as well. I know this character. All right, give me a hint. One more hint. Are they? Is it video game? What, what, what's its background? Uh, video game. Very, very famous video game. Is it? A boy or a girl? It is a girl. I assume so. Okay. Uh, is it... Okay, most popular... It's not Princess Peach, is it? Is that... It is not Princess Peach. All right. I don't is think it... she was in the top ten. Really? I'm surprised. Uh, especially after, like, the... Uh, the Hall... Not Halloween, the Mario movie. Um, yeah. Is it... Tif... Is it from Final Fantasy? Yes. Is it Tifa? It is Tifa, yes. Ah, Tifa, ah. apparently, according to Roll 34, is the most porn created out of them, out of anybody else. Honestly, um, but yeah, I'm surprised. It was... Yeah, it was Tifa, and then it's like five different types of Pokemon, what? <laughs> and then what? it's like yes, like Gar- Gar- yes. Gardevoir, Gar- Gar- that- yes, yes. I feel like Pokemon apparently. like I feel like it, it. Pokemon started out as animals, and then they at one point they're like now they're either inanimate objects like a thing of ice cream or they're a woman, and you're like mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> and someone's just like so you're saying I could fuck them both? Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, no, and I, I guess that kind of makes sense, too, just because furries are such a huge part of drawn porn, um, and then also to, because popular, uh, uh, yeah, popular, not popular, but um, Pokemon is the most popular media franchise of all time, just anything, <laughs> like movies, TV, video games, that sort of thing, it is the most profitable media franchise of all time, so. As it should be. Um, yeah, that makes sense, so, well, they need to be better games and 
Game Freak even agrees with me they, on that. Front. They do need to. Yeah, I honestly, um, my step, my half brother in law got me a, the new Pokemon game for uh, Christmas last year, and I didn't know how to be like, I I have no interest in this. Like, I really appreciate you for buying me this. But I don't know mm-hmm. what to do with it. <laughs> I, yeah. like, I turned it on, and they're like, the legendary Pokemon on this one is a motorcycle. And I'm like, get this the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. played Diamond and Pearl back on the DS. I got about halfway through and stopped. I played X and Y on the, um, gosh, what was that, 3DS. Uh, got about three gyms in, stopped. And then, like, I bought sun and moon or one of them i think i was moon i bought and then i never even touched it and then i thought to myself why am i buying these games like and don't get me wrong i grew up in the 90s i was you know fourth grade when the original pokemon came out i caught all 151 yes including mew um legit uh by the way i used the glitch for that one Uh, but yeah basically um that was kind of how it is and now i'm just like i just i'm not interested in it anymore and it sucks um, but hmm. yeah, back to porn. Tifa was number one. Like five different Pokemon were number two through six or something like that. A couple Sonic the Hedgehog characters in there, and then I don't remember the rest. But I remember just looking at that and just being, damn, there's a lot of furries out there. I mean, furries. I feel like internet furries. That those are, you know, those are they go well together. I feel like, you know, no, not not shaming anybody's kink there. You know, you, you guys do. Oh no, definitely do. not. You know, like, yeah, I, I was like I was at Pride Parade yesterday, and a guy in a bear uh, fur suit uh, complimented my shirt. So. Oh. See, I, I was, ne- you know, never went down the furry route, but I did at one point use, uh, me and actually my buddy used a, like, furry tutorial to make, try to make, start making some uh, cosplay costumes. I think, mm. I don't think either of us finished them, but I made, like, a working head of Shadow the Hedgehog, and I made, I used it to make a uh, War Greymon head that opened up and stuff. It was pretty sick. Uh, and then I, and then actually that's how I made my updated Charizard costume. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, know, there's, and- there's, there's a lot of, furries have a lot of help for us. Oh, no, 100%. And, like, just the design of the costumes, the technology. Like, literally, they have, like, invented cooling technology. Furries, just engineers who just really, really like creating their fursuits that um, the military or, like, sports mats cast use to keep the wearer cool. Wait, so really? it's overall, yeah, a net, overall a net positive. I mean, they spend thousands and thousands of dollars on these suits, and they wear them as much as they need, want, want to, which is a lot Um but yeah, they've used various different types of cooling technology for actual military applications and then also for like sports mascots and that sort of thing too that furries have originally invented. So oh, yeah. that type of technology. I love that. Because I feel like yeah, we, overall it's a net positive for the world. Because like, when you're in high school, you learn about how like war is bad, but war also brings about invention and uh, adaptation. But And so like it's, it's the idea that, you know, they brought back this or, you know, space brought back this to the world. And then like, and then can, furries brought <laughs> cooling systems to, to the army. furries to... <laughs> Geopolitical conflicts, wars. <laughs> oh yeah, I want that to be in a history book. Like, and this, yes. this fancy, uh, you know, the, the evolution of furries and how the impact of society. Okay. Oh. And then the next part on permanent screwheads talk horror, uh, we're going to go ahead and compare the um, the deportification of Imgur and Tumblr to the Holocaust. That's where we're going to go next, and that's I... where I'm going to stop my edgy humor for right now. Get, get out of here, a joke. Uh. <laughs> but. But Dan, did you hear the, yes. the greatest news in the world? Um, we, we talked about the alien coming to Dead by Daylight. That was the last mm-hmm, episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. What's the greatest mm-hmm. news in the world? Uh, Prey is getting a Blu-ray release finally. Ooh. And it's nice. going to come commentary. It wasn't already? No. No, it, it had not gotten a release. We've, we've been waiting. We've been, we've been waiting for this. And they finally announced it. Uh, it's coming out in October. Uh, I think partly because it, it, it got nominated for a bunch of Emmys. Um, 
And uh, it's going to come out with commentary, some behind the scenes, and like an alternate opening to a degree. Uh, and I guess Best Buy is getting a you know exclusive steelbook, so uh, I'll be there at Best Buy for the first time in what feel I feel like a decade uh, to get that. <laughs> um, so just saying, it's going to be great. And then I think uh, also around October is when the uh, the Feral Predator NECA figure is coming out as well. So for all those Prey fans out there, it's coming. It's coming. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Good, 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 good. So that, yeah, that's the, more, that, that is the great news. Uh, yeah, any more um, Predator Alien Watch going on right uh, here? I think that they announced Alien Romulus coming out, I think, April of next year. I can't remember if that's when it was. But sometime they, they did announce a release date for 2024. Um, otherwise, yeah, other than that, uh, I did get to play actually the alien in the, uh, in the PTB for, um, Dead by Daylight. It's pretty fun. It's, it's a fun character. Mm-hmm. The, like, you're on some, like, almost like Nostromo-y kind of ship that also has some open area you can go outside into space. And, and actually, as I predicted, the aliens, its perk is that it can kind of, like, go through vents and stuff. Um, there are these holes in the ground. And unlike, um, uh, what's, what, what's the, uh... The dem- unlike the Demogorgon, it's not like it automatically transfers. Like, you actually have to kind of crawl through to, to a degree. So that's kind of cool. It makes it a little, it's mm-hmm. slightly different. Um, there's a bunch of Easter eggs. So, yeah, it's definitely worth playing for anybody who's interested. Cool. Um, but, yeah, I think, and that's all I got for Alien Watch. I think the final, I think, issue five of Alien Thaw came out. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll curve my Alien Watch a little bit. But don't worry. It'll come back later. Gotcha, gotcha. But how, how are you cool. doing, Dan? How's your uh, life? Doing... All right, all right. Life is going good. We just got back from Pride last weekend. Uh, for some reason, my city holds it in August. Uh, well, I know the reasons because we held the Pride Parade before the Pride Month was officially declared, and we just kind of kept it at the same thing. Um, so that was fun. We went out with a few friends, saw the parade, got to see all the cool stuff right there. Um, yeah, honestly, not much has been going on. Plan on the vacation. Uh, just as an FYI to all of our listeners, uh, I will be on vacation slash my delayed honeymoon uh, for most of the oh. month of September. We're still kind of figuring out if we want to take a little bit of a hiatus or maybe go ahead and do a Printing the Screw Habits episode without Screwhead Dan for something else, maybe a special thing where Andrew just rants about Resident Evil movies for three hours or something like that. Oh, the dream. The dream, the dream. But we're figuring it out on that front, but there might be uh, something going on there. So keep updated on that front. We'll see exactly what we decide, um, and we'll try and figure it out. But uh, we are going to Sweden. So uh, once again, shout out to Swedish Horror Nerd, a really, really awesome dude um, um, who is uh, basically posting a lot of really cool stuff on his Instagram and social media about just horror movie projects, other creators, that sort of thing. Um, Really cool dude. I really like talking to him, and uh, he definitely knows his stuff. So gonna go ahead and try and see some uh stuff before we head on over there yeah boy yep that's that right there otherwise um yeah really don't have let's much to say into it. what's been going on with life yeah let's get let's get into this classic movie um absolutely so, dan as you mentioned before this is the fifth entry or the fourth sequel to the classic insidious uh what is your experience with the, with the franchise and like do you like them do you not like them what, what's what's your okay so this is one of those franchises like the conjuring for some reason, I just, I really, I like the first one. I really gravitated towards the second one. Not because it's an amazing movie or anything like that, but just, it's a really solid movie, The Conjuring, for me, the, the second movie. I've seen that one probably five or six times, and it's it's my comfort horror movie. Mm. Um, it's also a good, like, kind of starter horror movie if I'm on a first date or if I'm talking to someone who's just, like, a little bit curious about horror movies but doesn't really see too much, hasn't seen too much of them. Um that's kind of just like a little gateway horror movie that I think I really like on that front. 
Um, Insidious has kind of been for the same series for me. I mean, obviously they're both directed by James Wan in terms of the, um, or James Wan, um, in terms of the, uh, yeah, kind of this, I don't know how you would phrase it, but kind of feel good horror somewhat. It's got a little bit of jump scares. It's got some really cool moments. It's got Patrick Wilson. It's got decent, but not amazing story, but overall they're fairly solid films. Um, Insidious, I did see when it came out. I remember really liking it. Um, however, as time went on, I started to think about what scenes have really stuck out to me. What do I drastically, like, clearly remember from that movie? And I still remember the general plot. I remember, obviously, the jump scare with the red face behind Patrick uh, Wilson, Darth Maul right there. I remember the boy hiding in the laundry room and the camera passes on by. And then I remember the whole further and the tiny tim on tiptoes the tulips and everything like that um which was actually hilarious because i remember discovering tiny tim back in high school um and then insidious came out afterwards like four years later and i was just like ah i knew that guy first that obscure <laughs> 70s singer so that was my hipster moments on that front um but yeah overall insidious was a good movie i didn't think it was amazing, but I thought it was solid on that front. Kind of the same level of the first Conjuring for me, personally. I don't remember much of two. I don't think I ever saw three or four. And then we've gotten to this one right here. So overall, I would sum it up by saying they're decent comfort horror movie. Same kind of level of the Conjuring if you've seen those ones. You could do a lot worse. And overall, I you know enjoyed my time with them. But would I put them in a pedestal? I don't think I would. How about mm-hmm. you? I so I, I think that's the relationship to with you. I've seen them all. Um, I can't remember the last key for the life of me. Um, uh, I also, you know, as, as we talked about this movie, um, I so I, I I like yeah. I think I kind of consider the first one a classic, and I think it kind of is like the I think kind of opened the door to the Blumhouse kind of formula. Like if I think of a Blumhouse movie, this is what I think of. Because um, I, I think it's kind of like you mentioned, like after like it is that I don't know if it's like it's not hug me horror, but it's that kind of like. I don't know. Things kind of work out. I think in the Insidious series usually, like, not a lot of people die in the Insidious series. It's not a lot of like, I don't know. Like, I'm never really afraid of somebody getting hurt in the Insidious movies. Um, but I think the first one is a really solid film. Like, I feel like it's it's like a good ghost mm-hmm. story to a degree. And I think the further is talked about enough, but not insanely. And I think that's actually kind of why I don't like the second movie very much. Is I don't like how much they go into it, um, into the further. And I think that they kind of do that again in one of the other movies as well. And I think this one as well. Uh, but I, I, don't know, I really liked the first one. I consider it a classic. Um, and I, I like the second one for how it, it, when they do the time travel, how they kind of explain kind of what happens in the first one a little bit, which is kind of cool. Um, but I, I have not revisited it since seeing it in theaters. Um, but I don't know, I've, I've considered the first one classic. I actually really like the third one. For some, I have seen probably the third one more than any of them, and I don't mm-hmm. know why. I have seen the third one a lot. Um, and I can't explain why, but I think it's more self-contained. And I think it's also like, it has like I think it kind of has the heart that the first one has. The first one is a lot about family, and the second one, and the third one's also about that. And I think that it is like another like well-made horror movie about like it's got again. I know that I think I went off last time about how um, Talk to Me and the Boogeyman and them are all kind of about like loss and dealing with coping with that and stuff. I think that Insidious Three actually does a really good job with that. Again, it's been a while, but I think it has to do with loss, but also about like uh, the main character gets in an accident and is like injured so that she can't walk on her own, and that also adds an element of horror, I think, to it. Mm. Um, but 
I was pumped for this movie going into it. Um, so I, I, again, I think I think I am a silent fan of this franchise. Again, I think one, I think Conjuring two, and I think like I was kind of I think of Insidious one, Conjuring two, and um, Sinister. I think to me are always this kind of like I don't know. How, I think they all came around the same time, and they were this kind of a really nice. Uh, degree of horror. I think this is Insidious has been kind of the kinder of the three franchises. Uh, yeah, it's fun horror. Like this is the horror that you feel like there's a jump scare and then you laugh about it and then you feel like, okay, that was pretty good. That was pretty fun at that point. And then you kind of remember that jump scare fondly in terms of like, yeah, that was a really good jump scare. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I still, again, the, the Darth Maul face from the very first one, I, I still think that's a fantastic jump scare. Um, I really like that, just kind of how it came out of nowhere. Um, and you mentioned Sinister as well. I, I kind of feel the same way. One of my favorite scares in all of horror is the lawnmower scene from Sinister. That's just oh God, yeah. so crazy. Well, uh, I think that this series does too as well. I think in this one it's a little bit less, but I think that they do scares. but And they, they are jump scares, but they're not like, I don't know, like loud noise jump scares. Like I remember Insidious, one of the, the scares that I always thought was crazy was, uh, um, I forget, I think it's, when um, Patrick Wilson and his wife are in bed and you hear some guy walking back and forth outside the, their bedroom and you and it pans over to it and the guy's walking back and forth, back and forth. And then one of the times he walks back and forth from the, the window, he just, he walks into the room and like that kind of shocking. Like, I think that's, and I think actually it was what Annabelle does well as well, as well I think is they have these kind of horror moments uh, without the crazy jump scare music. Uh, I thought that mm-hmm. they was really effective. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, so what, were you excited for this movie? Were you like apprehensive? What, what was your thought going into it? I was just like, okay, this is probably not going to be very great. I mean, it's uh, the fifth sequel to a series that has long past, in my opinion, kind of run through its course. Like mm-hmm. there are little bits and pieces on that front, but like you just said, I'm really not interested in exploring the further, further. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things where kind of less is more on that front. Um, and also, too, at whenever these series go on to lawn, they always still have to introduce some sort of tension in the movie. And usually what they do that is kind of by sabotaging the characters in terms of, oh, the happy ending you thought was in the first movie. Well, psych, that's actually, uh, you know, everyone hates each other now and a bunch of characters are dead and it's just not fun anymore. And it just kind of ruins it because they need to instill some sort of, yeah, um, thing within it. So... Overall, I was just kind of like, eh, yeah, this is probably not going to be that great. Um, but mm. I was hoping to be surprised. And Andrew, what did you think about this movie? Uh, so I think you and I were discussing this earlier. Um, so I actually, this movie started out, I actually would really like this, how this movie started out. But much like Insidious, The Last Key, I fucking can't remember anything past when they get to college. Like, <laughs> I, I can remember bits and pieces. But this is like, I, like, I... I've never felt more like I must have fallen asleep or something during a movie because I can't remember what happens. And like, well, I say that, and I, and I think what it is that I can remember what happens. It's just that nothing really happens uh, in this movie, and, and it's unfortunate because I was really excited because you know one, two are are cannot are sequential after one after each other. Uh, three, I think, it takes place in the past. Prequel, right? Four, yeah. Uh, I don't know when the last key takes place. I again, last key doesn't exist in my mind. Um, <laughs> And this is the direct sequel to uh, to two, um, and I can tell you kind of what happened. I know the general idea what happens to two. I know one very very well, but I literally like the movie. The ending of this movie from after they drop off of college, I can't tell you much what happens, or at least nothing consequential happens. It, it's like I don't know. It's 
Ah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I feel bad because I love that Patrick Wilson directed this. I like this story. I like these characters. I wanted it to go somewhere. And when I mm-hmm. first heard that this movie was going to be exploring the red-faced demon, I was like, yes! Because I think it's in 3 where they hint at the end of it of the red-faced demon appears at the end of 3. And you kind of see them and Elise sees them and they're like, oh, here's the So wait, this movie demon. was supposed to explore the red demon? That's what they advertise in the trailer. Oh, so boy, the... they dropped that ball. Fuck yeah, they did. <laughs> like, that was the whole thing. The red-faced demon was behind the red door. Like, that was the thing. And, like, behind there, they, they showed him That's why they the called him that. Oh, it just clicked. Uh, yeah, no, it's... Well, uh... I mean, I mean, like, I don't know if that's why they called it. But, like, like, that's the thing. Is like, I thought, like, the red door was what we saw in the first movie. And then they closed it to get in the further. And there was the red-faced demon who was chasing them. And I thought this was going to end the story. Because he was kind of, like... He was in the first movie, and they kind of went on to the bride in the second movie as the, as the antagonist. But he, I feel like he was present, and then they hint at him at the end of the third movie. So I figured, like, okay, here he comes. We're going to learn his deal. Nope. Nope. Like, nope. he was the one haunting Dalton. He was the one who wanted Dalton's body. So shouldn't he be a huge part of this? Mm-hmm. And he really isn't. And I think that's that's what I think that's why I don't remember this movie, is I was, I was hoping for something with the red-faced demon, and he really wasn't there. Um, yeah, they just really... It, plays it, it, very, it very much plays it safe. And yeah, I'm on the same mind as you. This was just kind of a big nothing burger of a movie there is really it's again i really like patrick wilson i think he's a fantastic actor i really hope that uh he does good things and he continues on what he's doing but this movie was just boring like Mm -hmm. i it was it was a very weird sense of it felt like the two first two thirds were very slow and then the last 20 minutes were just all crammed in there at the very end. Uh, I remember looking at, like, how much time I had left on the movie, and I realized, oh, there's, like, 10 minutes left. Oh, okay. This is kind of quick at that point. Um, the writing kind of suffered from the same Blumhouse thing of just... Well, I'm, the only thing I'm going to say is the writer on this front was the same writer as Halloween Kills, and that's a that. lot um Ugh. scott teams i believe his name is uh yeah scott yeah yeah scott teams uh also too he wrote firestarter uh which came out and the new exorcist movie exorcist believer uh not released at this time but uh that's gonna be uh that's gonna be great yeah i i've heard first impressions are not good on that one. Oh, i as soon as i saw that trailer i was like no nah, fuck fuck i'm not I'm, I'm not gonna see that i'm sorry i'm not watching yeah that. so this guy does not have a great track record and it just there's a lot of blumhouse movies are kind of the same quippy dialogue and the entire time i'm listening to them and i think to myself do they they these writers don't know what actual human beings talk like it's just all sound bites and pieces and little stuff to kind of drive the plot along um yeah i was really just bored with this movie honestly and i think you've said it kind of phrased it in terms of you didn't fall asleep during this movie but it felt like you did <laughs> it was just yeah really kind of boring overall unfortunately I mean, i'm reading uh wikipedia right now and they're saying this is the highest grossing of the series and that's tragic yeah uh, um but I, and you know i will say one thing i think of this movie is again patrick wilson's directing it and I've, I've noticed this also i've thought in the third conjuring movie is mm-hmm. it seems like it was like i don't know like so my wife and i watched the movie a man called auto a while ago with um uh tom hanks and I'm like this is a dad movie it's you know it's a movie about like a guy who's like going about he's kind of curmudgeon and he helps his family or he helps his you know people he's doing good deeds it's all about him being good and doing good deeds and i felt like this was patrick wilson's like dad movie of insidious where it's like this is the movie about the father and the son and their relationship mm-hmm. and nobody really gets hurt and it's all about like you know doing the best you can and like looking after your son and sacrificing yourself for your son and like family related and like it felt like patrick wilson's like 
made a dad movie out of Insidious. Um, and I don't know. I think that's I think that's it. And like I appreciate it in the beginning. I actually thought that worked really well in the beginning of the movie. But when yeah, it ended I, up just ending as a dad movie, I was like, ah, oh, okay, I don't need this. Yeah, and I just the premise is fine. Like I mm-hmm. there there could be a good movie based out of this premise. And I'll go ahead and start talking about that one right yeah, now. Get into it. Um, so basically, Insidious, the entire series is basically about this family who has uh, haunted by a red faced demon called Oh gosh, do we remember the red faced demon? Name? I he doesn't have a name, he does a name, he? Actually, doesn't have a name. He's a red-faced red demon. demon. Um, red-faced demon. Um, also, uh, looks like Darth Maul, so I'm going to call him Darth Maul. Uh, but basically, yeah, Darth Maul is kind of subtly fucking with these um, family members, and its ultimate goal is to possess the body of one of the family members because it comes from an alternate dimension, reality, something called the further. It's kind of like this whole astral projection thing. So these movies are steeped in kind of a sense of characters astral project into the demon's realm and the demon's realm comes over to theirs. Uh, The demon comes over to their realm. Weird shit starts happening on that front. So it's very kind of psychic kooky in that um, way. And that's kind of the angle that they go on in. But ultimately, yes, it is about a demon trying to possess family and the family trying to fight against it. Um, the real thing that kind of just made this series popular, at least in my opinion, is, yeah, the first two were very competently directed. They were fun little movies. A um, couple great jump stairs in it. Uh, they have Tiny Tim, who is this very, very high-pitched um, 70s singer um, who produces, they use his music to great effect in terms of just like the creepy little layer on that front. Um, yeah. But overall, um, this movie basically starts off with uh, Patrick Wilson, who plays Josh, and um, his son, Dalton. Basically, after the events of the first movie and after the events of all the other movies, uh, they agree to have their memories wiped of all the traumatic events that happened to them during the first movie. And now Dalton, who was a young boy in the first movie, is now going off to college and weird shit starts happening to him as these memories start to surface through his art school, basically. Um, He's a painter and he starts drawing shit and one of which is a red door that has some sort of connection to the red-faced demon Darth Maul. Um, But basically, as it continues on in, as these possessings start happening again, weird shit start happening. They start to remember who they are, what their background is, and ultimately at the very end, it's a big father-son bonding thing where they both go together to fight off this demon. And... That's pretty much it, honestly, um, in terms of the main plot. There's really not too much more to it. There's a couple side characters here and there. There's some conflict between Josh uh, Lambert, uh, Patrick Wilson's character, and the wife, whose wife remembers everything that happened. She didn't get her memory wiped, but the son did. Um, and do they ever explain why the wife doesn't do that? I mean, so she the was... reason is because Patrick Wilson and the son are astral projectors, but the wife is Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and Patrick Wilson actually had had his memory wiped um, prior to the events of the first movie. So that that, that that's why that, that thing happened. It's like, in the past, Patrick Wilson was being stalked by this uh, specter of this old woman who was stalking around because she wanted his body. So they ended up wiping his memory so he wouldn't astral project. And then he, they kind of relearn about that after Dalton starts astral projecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the thing. Is they, they basically used the same thing that they did in the first movie, uh, prior to the first movie, to wipe both their memories because... If you have no memory of it, you're less likely to kind of start doing it, essentially. Um, I completely so I, forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. How dare you? Yeah. It's been, it literally has been like 10 years since I saw the first movie. Um, I probably should have saw it before this one, but that's why, that's why you're here. Um, 
Yeah, but basically, I mean, the whole big thing of this movie is the generational trauma because Patrick Wilson's father had the same sort of thing happen to him and it did not end well for Grandpa Dalton or Grandpa uh, Lambert um, no. on that front, uh, kind of coming on in. But yeah, that that's a huge thing on that front. So yeah, where do we want to start off with this movie or continue uh, on in? Let's start with like the premise. So like... What it, so this, this movie starts out in a very different place. The end of the the end of the second movie uh, starts out with uh, and it ends with them all kind of coming together. They defeat uh, the old lady who's trying to take over Josh's body. Um, you know they they come together after basically Josh is possessed and threatens to kill his family. Essentially, um, this movie starts off with Josh estranged from his wife and his kids. He doesn't live with them anymore. His mother just passed away, um, and Dalton's going to school. Um, Dalton and him have a bad relationship, and we learn partly the reason for that is because Dalton doesn't remember like any of the insidious shit happening, but he does remember he has he remembers his father trying to kill him, which is when he, the father was possessed by uh, the bride person from uh, who stalked him as a child. Um, mm-hmm. And we so find out later that this is actually the reason why he's divorced from his wife because they just couldn't process the trauma. Exactly. How, how did you feel about that? Because I, I fucking love that. I thought that was great. I thought it was a great way to carry over from the events of the second movie. Like, yeah, families don't just come together at the end of this. They are, they have trauma. They remember their father trying to kill them. That is traumatic. Like, what? And like, I thought that was like a nice place. I thought it was like a realistic place to start, even if you know it's kind of not family friendly. Uh, you know, it's not yeah. family supportive. What do you think? Yeah, I like that too. Um, again, it kind of feels. I was talking about this before, but it kind of feels like whenever you get to this point in the sequel. Like, bad shit has to continue happening to the characters. Otherwise, there's not going to be a central conflict in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I felt it was very believable in terms of the, the scene where the wife is kind of explaining, yeah, this is what happened to us. You were possessed and you tried to kill us. And I do understand you were possessed, but that's a really fucking traumatic event. And mm-hmm. I was not able to process it, understandably so. Um yeah, I thought that was very good on that front. I, again, I like the premise. I really like the opening scene. It's basically just kind of a slow zoom in of uh, Patrick Wilson and the son as they're getting their minds wiped. Um, I thought that was a very effective way to kind of bring everyone back up to speed and start the movie. Yeah, so I, I had no problems with the premise, honestly. And like, so like, I, I know I think you mentioned, I think you mentioned me at one point about, um, so Patrick Wilson and taking the son to college and... It's, it's that, you know, they're strange, so it's that kind of awkward, like, Patrick Wilson was a jock in college, this kid is clearly like an artsy dude, uh, and that kind of thing. There's that thing. But they're, they're, they have a fight at one point, and uh, I fucking loved it. I know, you, I, I feel like you didn't like it, but they uh, they get in a fight where um, basically, um, I don't know, Patrick tries to get his kid to, like, you know, be have more fun and do stuff, and then uh, his kid's like, no, I don't want to do that, and Patrick like, was like, why are you such a motherfucking brat? And like... It's. I thought it was really believable, especially like in a in a situation like with where like estranged parents and child, where like the the parents trying to like you know occupy like do extend his uh, I don't know like make a connection in his own way with the kid clearly isn't receiving it. Um, I don't, I thought it was really realistic and I think it was dramatic, but I thought it was really well done. Um, and at that point, I thought they're actually I was like, wow, these guys are great actors. This like feels like a real fight between these two. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Patrick Wilson is a fantastic actor. Yeah, I I had a lot of problems with the son um, in mm-hmm. terms of a lot of Udo's writings. Not as much as I did with the roommate, but a lot to do with the son. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the writing was good, but the acting was fine. I, I did like the angle in terms of there's something deeper that they can both kind of feel. Like they know that there's some sort of unprocessed trauma between them, but they literally cannot remember what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did like that. 
So, and, and I will say, I also loved Patrick Wilson. Like, I thought like so they also revealed during this time that basically Patrick Wilson's having trouble with his memory. He like he's getting foggy. He's like missing elements of things. He feels kind of out of it. Um, and I honestly found that terrifying. Like, I thought like um, I don't know. I think uh, like my, my grandfather suffered from dementia, and like. Uh, I, I got I don't know some of those anxiety and stuff. I kind of like sometimes I have trouble focusing on things and like this yeah, idea yeah. that you're just not able to focus uh, and like he's losing memories and like uh, I like I really like I don't know that that idea is really terrifying to me, especially when those memories. I was hoping I was hoping they're going in a way where he's like you know forgetting about the further even more and forgetting about those situations, so he's like forgetting about the danger. And I thought I thought that's where they're going to go with it was that even like as Dalton starts to remember, his father can't. Um, so I thought that'd be like an interesting concept of like basically his father like. You know, or sees things and then forgets about them. Was what I was. I thought it was gonna be some play on like memory loss and stuff like that. Because you know, early onset Alzheimer's and is is a real thing. And I think that, mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that's a terrifying, terrifying yeah. thing. Um, so I was hoping they'd lean more into that because I thought that was a terrifying idea. And him trying to like solve it was interesting. Um, but then it more just seemed like an excuse for him to be behind the camera more and not on screen because they kind of have him walk away for a while and then do a little like, "Hey Dalton, I saw a doctor today," and that was his one scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I thought that's ended up what it ended up being, but I, I thought that was a really compelling idea, and I wish they'd kind of stuck with that more. Um, but I, I thought I thought that could have been played with better. Um, yeah, but yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, Dan, I, mean, I have a quote. Sorry, yeah. Uh, no, that was literally like what I was about to say. Like one of the few things I do find that very interesting about this movie is just the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind thing. In terms of yeah, it's a process, it's a trauma that they went on over through, and of course, if you completely erase the memories it's going to come back to bite you in the ass at that point and that that's an interesting setup being terrified mm-hmm. of something you don't remember um yeah but anyway what's your question yeah well actually that's a good thing like, I, I, that's a good point like I, I think i wonder if this is a question of repression versus actually dealing with an issue you know like repressing mm-hmm. bad memories versus actually addressing them although i think if that is the goal they're going with i think it's not the best goal because uh i don't know i feel like repressing a ghost that doesn't attack you versus dealing with conflicts in your life or <laughs> different things. So I guess that knowledge doesn't work. But the I was going to ask you, <laughs> the metaphor breaks. But Dan, what is your um, what is your favorite Patrick Wilson role? Oh, good question. Oh gosh. Um, even though the Warrens were terrible, terrible people, um, yeah, I, I do really like him as the uh, uh, the um, Ed Warren for the Conjuring series. I think his relationship with him and uh, uh, Lorraine is just the best part of those movies. Uh, let me go ahead and look at through his stuff. Patrick Wilson. Let's see. I'm literally looking at his filmography right now. Well, I forgot he was Night Owl in The Watchmen. Yeah, well, yeah he did all right there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would still say Ed Warren in the Contrade series. Like, that that's mm-hmm. kind of how I got started on him. That's the way I kind of still remember him at that front. How about you? Oh, I'm going to say you're wrong. Uh, so the best <laughs> role he was ever in, uh, you know, most memorable role uh, was in Prometheus. I was, yep, I knew that was coming back. <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it's got to be as Shaw's dad in the flashback she has that David watches her in Prometheus. That's best Mr. role. Shaw. Made, made the movie. Made the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just just saying. Uh, I I can't, you know, I can't imagine a better role for him yeah. than the dad in the flashback for Prometheus. Yeah. He was pretty good on Bone Tomahawk too. But uh, I mean, that was a hell of a movie. He so. he was all right. He, it it wasn't no uh, <laughs> no no Prometheus. Though you know he he was also in the um, Phantom of the Opera. He was I forget what the main guy's name is. Who's not the Phantom. Uh, 
but apparently he's like a operatic singer and has like a PhD and shit. Like mm-hmm. he's like apparently like a really fucking smart dude. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But maybe don't direct this movie. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. no, he uh, uh, plays Raoul in uh, Phantom of the Opera. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's really uh, yeah. He's, he seems very very multi talented. Seems like a decent guy. Um, yeah, I got uh, I got nothing against him. I think he's a great actor. So. Yeah. I think you you have something against him. I, I, I could sense that in your mind. I could sense that when you said that. Yeah. No, we've talked about The Conjuring before, so I think it kind of moves <laughs> on there. Anyway, back to the movie. Yeah, so, like, what are some things you want to talk about this movie? What are some scenes that stuck out to you, characters that stuck out to you? I do want to talk about the roommate at some point. Let's, let's um, hop right into her, because I, I... Yeah. Scenes in this movie. Oof. <laughs> Oof, yeah. Yeah, let me see if I can't pull up some quotes on this front. So, basically, Dalton, teenage son, who is... Um, going into college um accidentally paired paired with a female roommate it's just uh like her name is andy or something like that some some chris yeah gender neutral name um and basically they accidentally pair the two of them together which i would think they would be whatever that that that's definitely something i felt like would be name would not be the qualifier for separating students into their own separate dorm rooms uh but basically she is the Hello, fellow kids. I am a boomer trying to write a Gen Z teen sort of thing. So it's immediately like the very first thing that talks to you. She's like, oh, it's a liberal arts school. We're all very liberal here. Ha ha ha. And then immediately like starts jumping into just all sorts of just Gen Z topics that a lot of older generations think that gen z talk about all the time and it's just Mm. it's very cringy it's very inauthentic it's very much a hey we're just gonna go ahead and check all the boxes as possible she's also incredibly irritating like just falls straight up she's got this i'm cooler than you sort of attitude and very one note on that front and yeah i i did not like her character at all see i would kind of back and forth on her i i I, I, I liked her at times, and I didn't like, like... I felt like sometimes, like, yeah, she felt... Like, at times it felt like, I don't know, like, like the, the whole thing of her coming in uh, and being like, like, you know, the Gen Z thing, I, like, that, again, it made me feel like a dad movie. Like, well, how wacky and crazy, a boy and a girl rooming mm-hmm. together, and Patrick was like, I'm, I'm gonna get the salt. <laughs> like, but I thought there were moments where she was good, like, where she was, like, kind of a fun character and responded to things well, or maybe, like, I thought the way that she kind of responded to... Um, Dalton's trauma and was able, was like you know, willing to help, you know, was willing to kind of flex with him a little bit, was nice. But it also like at times she felt really un- unbelievable and like I don't know, like my biggest written thing is in like a character did not like, feel necessary to the plot at all. <laughs> oh, absolutely, she, she did not need to be in it. Like, and again, it's weird because like she wasn't a romantic interest. She wasn't. She kind of dragged him out to places, which was like I guess like maybe a realistic college experience, but also mm-hmm. like. Uh, yeah, they 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 didn't seem like characters who would drive together necessarily. Like, again, I don't think she's. I think she did play the role she was, she was given well. And I thought there was interesting because like there was her in this relationship and like between not between her but like interactions between her and that head of the frat and stuff. Mm-hmm. And both of them felt like very tertiary characters. Like he was a douche and she was like the outgoing individual. But like there were times where she would kind of bend, and there was a time when she was like dying and the frat dude will like immediately try to resuscitate her. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know. It felt to me. I'm like, Oh, like these, like, these characters have more depth to them than we're seeing. It, and like, but they're never touched again. Yeah. Like, it felt like she was manic pixie dream girl without any of the romance or any sort of character development or anything at all on that front. Um, yeah. That's a good way to think about it. Like, I yeah, think she it, was like a, sorry. No, go ahead. 
I was like, I feel like she felt like a damsel in distress because she kept getting got by or attacked by everything. But like not actually damsel, you know, like not damsel in distress, but she served that same function because she was like, like you said, like she was like the energetic person, but she was basically there to get in trouble and have Dalton save her. Even if and she also wasn't just like, kind of push Dalton because they, I think they realized like Dalton was, oh, Dalton doesn't want to go out to frat parties. That's not part of his character. So we got to write in a character that'll force him to move on over. Mm-hmm. And that's it. <laughs> like that's, that's her entire contribution to the plot. Well, it's weird too, because we don't see much interaction between them. We see them get room together. And then very quickly she's moved to her own room and he like night walks to her room and plays on her like, uh, whatever that thing is, you blow it and play the accordion kind of mm-hmm. thing, and you're just like, which again, that's a, that's the the quirky kind of thing. No, like, no, no, no Andrew, you don't understand. You blow, and then somebody else does the fingering. Did you learn nothing from Alien Covenant? Wow, 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 wow. You're right. Great movie. Let's go watch it. Anyway, but yeah, I felt like that was I don't know. The relationship didn't feel natural. It didn't feel like they really got to know each other before she became a key element of the story like I, I wish that they'd done something different with her i just wish they, they developed her in a different way um and again i think it's i like that, that she's not the romantic interest i think that's actually a strength when a movie kid does that and doesn't make them the romantic interest immediately but like i just didn't get their relationship as friends necessarily because we never yeah. really got to see develop like i don't know like i feel like we never got to see them like other than again there were a couple of moments where they kind of tend, tended to like lean towards each other but i felt like again i think it's his it's not just her, it's him as well. Neither of them had the strength of being well-developed to the point that, like, he wasn't very interesting or deep had we not known him from previous movies, like, known what he'd gone through. And she wasn't very interesting or deep. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it's... It, I don't know. But I, I, I think that, like you said, like, somebody trying to write, like, a Gen Z kid from a boomer generation, I think is an accurate picture. It just felt very... I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's very much feels like, oh, we need to toss in some sort of character that the kids will think is hip and cool and... It's, it's her, and they kind of shoehorn her on in. And she is a big part of the movie. She's in a ton of scenes, but at the same time, again, she doesn't really do anything besides be a victim and kind of up the stakes in terms of, oh, no, she's being captured, or force the characters, force Dalton to go to a place to kind of move the f- plot further along. And that's pretty much it. So, yep. Well, part, part of me wonders, do you think this was this movie filmed during, during COVID? Was this a COVID movie? Uh, possibly. Let's see. Because it could explain why there's not a lot of character interaction in this movie. Like, maybe why yeah. she was in there is to be the one character they interacted with. And because he was such a mute character, they, they brought a high contrast character to him. Uh-huh. Like, in terms of just, like, his personality is um, kind of non-existent. No, it was not good during COVID. So it looks like uh, the earliest was February 2022. No, Location scouting had started. Uh, with wow, filming okay. set to begin spring of that year. So, yeah, it was filmed throughout 2022. So... That was a really big turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's the, a lot of these Blumhouse horror movies are pretty cheap to produce and pretty easy to produce as well. A lot of it also too is VFX, um, and that sort of thing. That's true. But, uh, yeah. 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 But the, yeah. I don't know. And it, it's weird too. Cause like the, there are so minimal characters in this. Like I thought it was really weird. Like they kept cutting to the younger son and I was like, I don't give a fuck about you. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> But Rose Bryan's character, like I thought, the mom was a huge part of the first two movies, so it's so weird yeah. that she wasn't in this one. Like I, I don't, mean, I don't. I, again, she not it kind of it? makes it, it makes sense in terms of where she's 
at um, with the divorce and everything like that. I, I, I didn't have too much of a problem with her character in this movie because she did have play that pivotal scene in terms of the reveal with Patrick Wilson in terms of, yeah, mm. you were possessed and you tried to kill us and that's why we divorced. Like, I, yeah. I thought that was a genuinely pretty well done scene overall. Um, like, I, but, I didn't dis, I didn't dislike her character. I just wish that she was in it more. I, I wish that oh, she yeah. was more... I, I don't know. I, I remember her so much from the first two movies. Like, I almost would have... Like, I think what they should have done maybe is ditch um, the roommate and have it be a story of the dad and the mom taking their kid to college and they decide to do it together because maybe that's what the kid wants. And the kid's, like, you know, stressed out and whatever. He's like, I just want you guys to, like, go to take... Mm-hmm. I know you guys aren't together anymore. Get separate hotel rooms and stuff. And it can be that push and pull of the two... The dad and the kid don't know what's going on. The mom knows what's going on and doesn't want to tell them. And that's kind of, like, the thing. And eventually she admits it because, you know, it's gone too far. But, like, that could be the interesting thing. Like, I think that dynamic will work really well. And we, we were using established dynamics. Again, we're like, yeah, the kid saw the dad try to kill him. But I think it's a lot more when it's the mom who has... Who has her husband yeah. trying to kill her and her two kids? I think that's a stronger thing to battle. And I with. think that would have helped the tension out as well too, because it's you know this estranged couple trying to do something nice for their kid. Because also, I feel like the end of this yeah. movie, they hint at them getting back together, or like, "Why don't you stay for dinner?" It's like, "No, fuck you!" Like, <laughs> like, like. I mean, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, no, don't don't end this movie with these two people getting back together. Stop making these dad movies where at the end they get together for no fucking reason. Show you know, make it like it's more of a screwball comedy where it's you know a story of remarriage where they get back where like we see them interact and build these relationships again. Like you know, them taking care of Dalton again. Like they you know what they should have done. They should have had Dalton get into a coma again. And have like, hey, this is just at that time. You know, like, mm-hmm. have have that be the callback. Give us a break from Ty Simpkins. Not that he's a bad actor, but it's just kind of boring. Uh, you know, like, have that be the thing. Like, yeah, Dalton being possessed was the first movie, but it was about the family's reaction to it. And I think that the way to end this movie isn't to make it about the father-son relationship, but it should be about the family healing from the events of the first two movies and actually having that closure. Um, I don't know. Again, okay, now, that, now the more you talk about this, the more I'm like, that that's what this movie is missing uh, yeah yeah and again I, i'm just kind of stuck on this i don't know maybe it's because i'm a child of divorce but um yeah i do remember a growing up a lot of just especially near the tail end of the divorce right before shit hit the fan where it was just like okay this is a birthday party where both the parents are there and it's really really awkward <laughs> but mm. they're trying to like i that that's that sort of tension i thought would could have been really really effective in terms of creating that uncomfortable atmosphere like the strangers uh, with um uh, Liv Tyler and I don't remember who the other dude was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that movie, but what I really love about it is just how it sets the stage in terms of this is a cabin in the woods that was supposed to be a romantic, romantic kind of getaway after he proposed. However, he proposed and she said no. And the entire movie, the entire mm-hmm. first third is basically that set of awkwardness that tension in terms of okay where's this relationship go from here after she's declined his proposal um like that sort of really real life proposal i think could have really worked well for the first half of the movie so yeah i agree with that i think she should have been a bigger character and they should have been there together on that front yeah oh, okay here, here's my pitch here's my pitch yeah. this isn't my sequel bitch this is my redo <laughs> this movie pitch right okay they're they're driving them okay you know they're, they're making their way downtown you know, they're driving to uh, where the, the fuck the college is. Uh, and uh, as they're driving, like, I don't know, Dalton, they start talking about stuff. And Dalton's like, what? You know, why are you guys, like, you know, maybe they get in a small fight. And Dalton just yells at them. It's like, you know, you guys weren't like this when I was younger. And, you know, he maybe gets in a mad, he has an outburst. And he mentions something that has to do with the, the possession that they, they block the memories from. And he's like, you know, you guys weren't like this when I was younger. You know, it's, it's just like when I, you know, I woke up from a coma and you guys were hating each other. And that would be kind of the, you know, the, the, 
the crack that forms in you know the the memory wall and then as they're driving you know it's dark and stuff and tiptoe through the tulips plays over the radio and that's kind of the hint that you know shit goes bad and maybe then the car has an issue so they have to pull over and they have to go and stay in a motel and then this movie takes place at this motel this rundown like norman batesy motel and that's where the story takes place of them getting haunted again and stuff and you know having to survive you know having to deal with that whether it's mechanic takes their car and that's that's when the haunting takes place. So you have a haunted setting, you know, an old kind of place. They have separate rooms, which you know symbolizes the separation of their relationship and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And you know, Dalton goes past, passes back and forth between the between the adjoining room door. And then then you know that's the that's the story. That's where things take place. And that should be that should be how the movie unfolds. It's it's just those three characters trapped in an old place. And you know, we want a side character. Fine, we toss in like the motel owner, or maybe her daughter, or something like that for Dalton to hang out with and shit. You know, that's 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 my new movie. And they'll call it Insidious, uh, I don't know. Maybe one of the rooms has a red door on it. Fuck it, I don't care. Maybe the, adjoining, <laughs> the adjoining room is a red door. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Boom. It's separating things. Whoa. Oh, my God. Symbolism. Wow. And it's how about you need to open that door sometimes and live the past and stuff to come together. Wow. Look at that. Symbolism. Great story. Damn. Amazing. Wow. You're welcome, Take James that. Wan. Take that, Scott <laughs> Teams. Yeah, Scott yeah, Scott. Scott teams, fucking, there we go. There we go. God, evil. You know what didn't happen in this fucking movie? Evil didn't die. It, it just repressed <laughs> it. Evil was repressed tonight. Because <laughs> uh, well, again, yeah. this movie does ends with repression again. And I tried to hop to the end of this movie. This movie ends with repression. This movie is about mm-hmm. how they they repress something and it's bad, and he has to address it, and it ends with him deciding to repress it himself. Right. Is that what mm-hmm. it is? Because he, he erases the door and the door gets erased in real life and or in not How real life. How does Paint stop the demon? How does Red Paint stop the demon? I don't I don't understand that. Okay, Was so that let's talk about this. In one of the other movies? Oh yeah. No, no, no. Let's talk about this. Right. So, <laughs> so this movie. So the, the conceit of this movie is that as Dalton, the first thing Dalton remembers is the red door, and they're implying that the red door is the door. Okay, that so is closed and houses all of the further in him, right? Okay, the evil gotcha. And the so that that was the question I was going to ask. Yes. Okay, continue. So he draws. He paints the red door. By painting the red door, he kind of opens up that to happen again. So it's this idea that if you imagine it, if you believe it's there, it's there. Um, can, I, can I also just pause for a second and go we for can talk about the art teacher before we continue this train of thought? Oh, fuck the art teacher. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here we go. So um, basically the art teacher is the one who kind of opens it up. So Dalton's goes into this art school. It's this liberal art school. It's one thing he really, really loves. Um, and... Very first class, uh, our teacher goes, okay, show me your best work. And everyone, like, puts a picture on their easel. And this one guy is just, the art teacher goes on over to, like, do you like this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's really good. And then she's just like, okay, tear it up. Because if you, it, it's some sort of thing, like, you should strive for perfection. Even if there's the smallest thing wrong with it, you should tear it up. And the dude's just like, no, I'm not going to tear it up. You're a dick. I really like this painting. And she's just like, okay, well, you failed this class. You just don't know it yet. You can leave now. And it's like uh, again it feels like a this is what liberals really believe sort of thing or this is the stereotype the the the, the scary stereotype of the liberal art teacher that's just I, i've never met anyone like that personally and i've never known anyone to meet anyone like that and it's just so crazy um but yes that that's that's how it starts off because dalton is told to paint something from the heart or from something deep inside his mind, and that's how the red door comes on in. Anyway, so continue with red door. I say I do love though that okay. So Patrick Wilson, as like a fucking ten-year-old child, had this trance thing put on him where he didn't remember shit, and he did not remember it again until his son was taken by this like forty, you know, thirty years later, 
and he had to go back into the further. You know, he had to be put into a trance again to get back into the further. And Dalton can just fucking like imagine it. And he's back. And he's back. <laughs> like Dalton has had the same procedure done to him to not remember this shit, and uh, he just like the person's like, "Yo, look in your side yourself," and he's like, "All right," and boom, back into the further. There we go. Okay, so my question is, I don't remember this from the very, the first couple of movies. Mm-hmm. So is this like a Freddy Krueger style situation where like the more you fear him, the more power he has? Like, how does Darth Maul get his power? Is it so? Dar- Darth Maul is just a regular demon. He's just yeah, another. He's just another dude uh, who's there. Uh, and, and yeah, so that they they imply that like some of them like you know more hatred and more stuff makes you more powerful. But it's the idea that if you have like belief in yourself, you're good. And that's like the ending is that Dalton like uses power of will to close it. Um, mm, so that that's part like, of it. Yeah, just like, like, like it's chapter two where they bully it, the clown to death. Exactly. Like at one point in the first one, I'm pretty sure uh, um, the father uh, is just like "fuck off" and like the <laughs> things around him like fly away. I feel like he just like force pushes them at one point. Um, which now I think about, it, I feel like there's a guy in the first one who looks all like his dad does in this movie. So I don't know. Maybe maybe he fucked off his dad. Um, but yeah, it, it's weird because like, and then you know, Josh gets possessed in the first at the end of the first movie. I think part of that is because he doesn't know what's going on, so he doesn't have that agency. Um, he like it's weird because he he confronts the the bride in the, at the end of the first movie and so gets taken over. So he, it is kind of flimsy as to what actually this is, but I think it is implied that it's a power of will uh, based on how it closes. Um, but again, then it, it makes it finicky. It's, it's it's like I don't know, like what what actually is the further and how does it work? And also, it seems like there's good people in this in the further in this as well. There's like buddies in the further. They're not all bad yeah. people. So, like, where were they in the first movie? Well, uh, where were, well, I mean, where, it depends on how big the further is and, like, how much of an interest they have in this particular family. Again, it's, it's like, one of those things where, like, if this marketing was kind of like, oh, we're going to explain who Darth Maul is, we're going to explain more about the further. No, this movie fucking doesn't. This movie does, explains less than any other movie about the further. The only thing now is apparently this red door is really, really, really important to keeping the demon out. Well, and it is very think, red. Like... If it, it, I think to myself, you know, how much more red could it be? And the answer is none, none more red. Man, have you ever thought to yourself how much, if I paint my blood onto a uh, onto a canvas, will it look bright red or will it just look brown and gross? <laughs> uh, this movie posits that it will look bright red. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Uh, right, hang on, give me five minutes. I'll be right back. All right, there we go. Um, yeah, anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and, and maybe it's like your own personal further. Maybe it's like your personal help, but your personal further. Uh because, I don't know, Elise keeps fucking popping up in these movies in the further. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you think of the further in this movie? I Again, the the weirdest thing about this movie is I can't fucking remember much about the further. I yeah. I remember at one point Dalton gets trapped under a bunch of fucking chairs or something. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, doesn't no, he get, like, trapped under furniture or something? Yeah. Does that happen? Yeah, and it's supposed to be, like, when he was hiding under the table in the first movie and, like, a flashback to that. Like, that that's what the further felt to me. It was just like, hey, remember the further from the first movie? Well, here it is exactly the same thing again. And it, it just felt like fan service, just for the well, sake of fan service. It didn't feel like anything was being, again, furthered on that front. It was just there. Well, because, like, in, in the second movie, they use the further, Josh uses the further to basically go back in time Uh and he's the ghost in the first part of the first movie that like slams the door and does some shit. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I thought that was really cool. This idea yeah. that like 
that happens. In this movie, they have something similar where Dalton tackles Josh when he's possessed by the bride and Josh starts strangling Dalton. But this is still in the further. So wouldn't Dalton see the bride and not Josh? Because the bride is the one in the further taking over Josh's body. So he would have tackled. But instead they have it be that he sees his dad in the further possessed by the bride but we don't see the bride so his dad still chokes him in the further it's i it's it's really confusing i don't i don't yeah. get and also i can't tell if they're implying that i don't i don't remember the second one enough to know if josh gets tackled by an invisible force that knocks him over <laughs> which mm-hmm. is dalton in this movie i don't know if that if that happens um i don't know I, I just felt like the first two were very solid in what they were doing with the further uh the third one was pretty solid because it was self-contained the th- the fourth one, there is a demon who could lock your voice away with his finger key, uh, and this I don't. This just seems even like weirder. Like it's so weird that this is the weird. This is to me feels like the most uh, confusing. I think I think it expands the further, but in such a vague way that it just brings up more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt like fan service to me personally. It was just like okay, and then they just tossed some shit at the very end about some red door about oh we need to include something in the marketing. Yeah, well, yeah, because overall. It, it, hmm. Because like, so I, I feel like the red door is symbolizing Dalton's connection to the further, and his mm-hmm. his trauma again. It's opening, and closing the red door. Uh, but uh, oh, that one's pissed. Hey, but, buddy. Uh, but again, hey buddy, come here. That one's bark. <laughs> He's barking at his own red door. Uh, but I feel like yeah, it's, you really it's, you, you got to take care of that, dude. Like I've been telling you for a while, you got to you got to close up that red door. He's looking inside himself when he's seeing the door. Uh, but I, I I just felt like. Again, like, yeah, we, we talked about how the, the the red-faced demon is the demon that wanted to possess Dalton in the first movie. And you see him again in this movie, and he's doing fucking nothing. For a movie about Dalton's experience with the Further, it would have really helped to flesh that out. Um, mm-hmm. But this does make me want to ask you, what did you think of the uh, element of the father being in this movie? How did you feel about that? And what did you what did you get from that in this movie? Again, I thought the premise was good in terms of the generational trauma. I, I do like it when movies do that. Um because it's a combination of kind of passing on the torch, but at the same time, too, it feels like a natural extension of whatever the original conflict was about. Um, I just don't feel like they did too much with it. I I, I really hated the turnabout at the very end, so I I guess we're too deep into spoiler territory at this point, but I am going to spoil the climax of this movie right now. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I really didn't like how they set up Patrick Wilson to kind of have his big heroic sacrifice in terms of he's going to close the door once and for all to save his son and sacrifice himself. And then it turns around and he's just like, oh, he's okay. Everything's fine. It's mega happy time. Which, again, I get it's this style of, again, conjuring Annabelle sort of movie where it is a happy ending at the end for the most part. But this one is just, yeah, I, I felt it was very kind of a wet fart of an ending in terms of, okay, pull that around. But yeah, how about you? Well, what do you think of the father role in this one? Like, again, well, I, I, I just don't, I don't, again, I don't get it. And like, so also in this movie, so in the, in the past when they went to the further, they were in their house and you followed the house. You walked through the house to get to the door up in the attic, which took you into the further or took you into this part. I don't know where, where in this movie, the door was just by itself in a void, which is kind of weird. And I don't know how Patrick Wilson got to the door or how um, his son got to the door, how Dalton got to the door. So I don't know where he could have gone in that sense. But yeah, I agree. I think it, it was, to me, that, that was the dad movie of, I'm going to sacrifice myself for the kid. 
And like Red Faced even breaks a fucking hole in the door. He could have fucking killed him, I'm assuming. Uh, or possessed him. I think that would mean have him possessed him again. And have that be like, you know, again, revisiting what happens in the second movie and how Dalton has to overcome that. He's possessed again. That could have been a callback. And like, you know, it could have been like Star Wars. It could have rhymed. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, again, it felt very just dad movie. But then what did, like, and, but, and I apologize, I didn't phrase this properly. What did you think of Patrick Wilson's dad in this movie? Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, and by Patrick Wilson, I mean Josh Lambert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, I. I mean, again, it was kind of a way to hammer in the same point in terms of generational trauma. Again, it, it's been like a decade since I saw the first movie, so it was nice to have the refresher in terms of, oh yeah, the grandpa was crazy, and uh, you know he was experiencing the same issues as well. So they're trying to break Wait, the cycle he? on this front. Yeah, the, the, he, it was not the whole thing like he killed himself because he was also afflicted by this demon curse. I don't think we ever knew about what happened. In the first movies, I don't think we ever learned anything about him. This is the thing, the first time we hear about him. Oh, really? Okay, gotcha. I, I, I believe so. Um, okay. Because we see him constantly in this. We see him walking up behind uh, Patrick when he's driving away at the beginning. We see him like randomly in places constantly in this movie. Um I don't know. Did, did it, was that effective? Like, I guess my question for you is: First, what was he doing in this movie? What was his purpose? Yeah. Did you get an idea of that? Yeah, I, I I thought he was supposed to be like kind of giving Patrick Wilson courage to save his son or do something or break the generational curse. I think that was the closest thing I could think of on that. Because like, um, but I don't think it did it very effectively. So the one through line that I saw for this movie and the others is that fucking lantern. I think the lantern was always there, and I, I couldn't tell if they were implying that the lantern was the father. Like, because in the first movie, Patrick uses the lantern, and I think it possibly comes into play in the second movie as well. So I don't know if the lantern's supposed to be a symbol of his father, and it's that light that guides him or something, because mm-hmm. that, that's constantly what they use to illuminate the, the further, is this light. But I guess the question is, like, apparently the dad can just be chilling out in the further this entire time, and so why wasn't he, like... Yo, Patrick, your son's getting kidnapped by a red-faced demon. Or, like, let me help you get your son. Or, hey, there's brides trying to kill you and take your life. Let me stop. Like, and by introducing the father into the further, I just don't... Un- and also, why isn't Elise more present in the further? Because Elise, we see here at the end, but if she was a very yeah. strong astral projector, then she was very, you know, and she named the further. If she was that person, why wasn't she more present in these... Situations. So I do want to talk about that as well. Like, why did the movie place such an emphasis on her? I half expected at the very end for her to show up and be like, hey, we want to talk to you now about the Warrens, and we're going to go ahead and do the uh, the, the, the Insidious Initiative or something <laughs> like that and kind of bring that all together like the other Insidious movies were kind of setting up to do for a while. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I felt on that point. But yeah, I, I, I didn't get her role in this movie. What's, so, like, at the end of three, they imply that the two, you know, her two companions, her two bros, her, like, I never interns, saw three, so. Okay. okay well, but her inter- interns were number one. Yeah. They were those two dudes. Like, and yeah. we see them briefly. They have a cameo in this. I think one of them actually might be Lee Winnell. Uh, uh, I think the, 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 the younger-looking dude. I think he's Lee Winnell. Um, but... Like yeah, they, they imply with them at some point that you might maybe we'll see a buddy, you know, a buddy comedy of them going around doing shit with the least ghost version. Um, but yeah, nothing really happens. And at the end of this movie, we see her, and I guess Patrick still doesn't remember her. I thought he got his memories back. I don't. Did they re-repress their memories? Because did he just forget about her again? Because she's like, "You have a nice family," and he's like, "Yeah, thanks, old lady. Who the fuck are you?" And she's like, "Bye." And it's just like, "I'm a spooky ghost." 
So, like, can she just appear in the non-further? Is she, like, because, like, why the fuck isn't the red-faced demon just, like, chilling around out in the regular world? Like, what does he need a body for if she can do whatever the fuck she wants? Can nice (laughs) souls hang out in the real world? Because, like, the father was constantly out in the real world. We kept seeing him, even when Patrick couldn't. Which is kind of, you know, again, the question of what is he doing? Why is he materializing if nobody can see him but us? Uh, mm-hmm. I, always, I always have those questions when ghosts are in movies. But, like, I, I I guess I just don't get what the... This movie made me question the further more and question, like, again, if the father has been present this entire time, what has he been doing? Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, it just created a lot more questions for me than it did answers. And I was hoping this movie yeah. would give me answers. So I do want to close off just real quick because I do want to wrap up this episode. Yeah, early. yeah. I think I, I think we've got a pretty good understanding. I, in terms of whether I recognize it in this movie, not really. No, like even if you are looking for like something Conjuring adjacent, I would recommend you know the first two Conjurings. I would recommend the first two Insidious movies. I would recommend Sinister. Um, what other movies would you feel like kind of fit inside this like micro horror genre of? We'll just call it feel-good horror for right now, I guess. Yeah. I'd say Insidious 3. Classic. Uh, okay. Um, I don't remember Insidious Last Key, but I swear to God, it's probably better than this movie was. Um, <laughs> I feel like of most Blumhouse things, like The Ritual, is that is that feel-good? Uh, no. I wouldn't say that's feel-good. I wouldn't <laughs> no? say okay. that on that front. Basically, I, I guess what I'm trying to these movies have a certain feel to it, and I think Blumhouse is a very important part of that. Um yeah, I don't know how best to describe them. Like, it, it, it's overall, like, maybe just, like, date night movies in terms of their movies for non-horror fans. But, I mean, yeah, horror fans can still enjoy them at this point. But it is kind of like a j- gateway in terms of these are horror movies where there's a lot of tensions that happen. There's a few jump scares to get your house heart racing. The characters mm. are likable. The char- the plots are, you know, easy to follow. And overall, there's a lot of really memorable scenes and a, really, a lot of memorable jump scares and that sort of thing. But ultimately, at the very end, you kind of leave it. And it's just like, that was a fun movie. Like, you that's know, kind of what I feel about these. You know what You know, I'm thinking about these movies are? So, yeah. like, you know, we had, the, we had the Universal Monsters. And we had kind of, like, I guess our equivalent of the Universal Monsters. Not our, but our parents' generation, the Universal Monsters. Being Freddy and oh, Jason. Oh, the original Dark like, Universe, yeah. I feel like this is, this is our, the Blumhouse Universe currently, I feel like, is our... Uh, our our Universal monsters. We have mm-hmm. this, the we have uh, Bagul. We have Red Face Demon. Yeah. We have yeah none. I feel like that's I think that's what they're building. They're building this. And apparently, actually, after the last key, they were talking about doing a crossover with Sinister, possibly in this franchise. Mm-hmm. And I think you know that would have been. That, I could see that. And again, I think Elise's Bro Squad could be Abbott and Costello meet, meet you know mm-hmm. meet Bagul. <laughs> and, they're, and they're like, how Bagul here when they see him like in a frame looking at them and they're like, this is the movie I chose. You know, like, like that would be great. Um, I I think that's that, that's kind of how I see these. They're they're they feel like universally monsters to me. Okay. Um, in terms of that. Um, so, how about this then? These movies are to the two thousands as to what Poltergeist was. Like, Poltergeist in these movies kind of have the same sort of feel to it, in my opinion. I, I agree do with. Agree? I think Insidious is Poltergeist, hands down. Um, I don't know about. I'm trying to think of like what what the Poltergeist, what the family of films Poltergeist would have been, to create the other ones. But yeah, I, I think I could see. Yeah, I see this as a Poltergeist, uh, mm-hmm. familiar. Uh, you know, I, I see that. Adjacent, I see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see this. Yeah, this is the Blumhouse Poltergeist. At least the first one. And part of what I love about the first one is that I don't know if you remember, but the thing that I always I always applaud the first one for is in the first one, there are hauntings going on, and they're like. Let's fucking move. And they do. Yeah. They move in the first half an hour of that movie. They're like, there's shit going down. We are being haunted. 
let's leave. And they do. And I, I, I always will appreciate this movie for that, like this series, mm-hmm. because that is the best thing ever. And they're like, actually, now your kid's haunted. They're like, fuck. I guess we can't leave <laughs> him. The house is the kid. <laughs> um, and that, that was great. Though, Dan, uh, before we move on, I do want to, you know, it's a classic segment. And I know I already yes, absolutely. stepped into sequel it. To this Dan, tell me, what is your uh, sequel, you know, joking, serious, whatever, to Insidious the Red Door? I 100% think the Insidious series has run its course. I'm glad it has existed. I do think we've gotten more good movies out of it than bad movies, even though I haven't seen two of them. But based, <laughs> I, I trust your opinion on three. So if it's good, then really there's only two duds out of five different movies. Um, that's true. So that's that's not too bad. Um, so overall, it's a net positive on that front. I would say at this point, they got to either reinvent it, either in terms of a requel uh, or reboot um, entirely, or they need to go ahead and just go full on ham in terms of lean into the fun, start the Conjuring slash Insidious slash um, Sinister Universe. And I, I, I want to see Darth Maul and... Um, the nun fight each other like that's Ooh. what i want to see i want to see like it just going completely ridiculous and i did like what you liked about uh, uh lynch as elise and the whole ghost squad you know kind of appearing as the abbott and costello stand-ins i i think that would be where i would want this to go um i i, I do think they could tone down the slapstick a lot more than like i don't know jason takes manhattan or something like that eventually the way mm. it devolved into but um i do feel that uh yeah, the crossover at this point, at the very least, it would be fun to watch all these different characters and demons interact. And I think that would also be a good way, giving a little bit more focus on the demons, even though it's going to take away a bit of their mystique and a bit of the scares. I think it would be a little bit interesting to kind of see how that goes. So you're saying, so you're supposed to that scene where Patrick Wilson walks up and sees older Patrick Wilson and their, their wives are like, what the fuck? Yes. <laughs> Patrick Wilson, what are you doing here with Ed Warren? He's like, what? what? <laughs> Ed Warren's like Ed playing Warren. guitar. Uh-huh. And then Patrick uh, Wilson falls in love with himself. I would, I would uh, watch that. He serenades him. I, well, actually, I guess Patrick Wilson's dad would have to be like old because because that that takes place in the past, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was uh, during the '60s, so yeah. So Valak would come up and be like, oh, "I killed you already <laughs> once." And he'd be like, "Oh no, I'm the younger." Also, okay, at some point we have, we're gonna have to do the nun too, just because I want to talk we about Val. What well, we have to because I want to talk about Valak and what Valak's deal is. Because I, right, right. I I had a theory at the end of the nun one, and now this one makes me so confused about the theory. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so my my idea for a sequel here, I kind of do what you, I I want I want I'm saying what you're saying essentially. I want them to shift more into a hard R because I believe these are all PG thirteen, and yes. I think the interesting thing to do here, and I, I I agree with you. I wanna I wanna take the red faced demon, and I wanna give him like a slasher movie because I, I you know again we see. We see what happens when uh, the bride possesses um, Patrick in number two. I want to see what happens when the red-faced demon p- possesses Dalton. Um, and I think you can make it a slasher movie um, if you want. You know, that could, that could be a thing. And it could just be the red-faced demon uh, possessing him. And, like, you know, maybe, like, over time. Because I think they kind of start to, they, I think they start to imply that, like, Patrick Wilson's body starts to, like, kind of decompose or get kind of fucked up over time. So maybe have the red the red face demon kind of come out of Dalton over time, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I think that'd be really cool. And, again, I, I think the red face demon part of thinking he has these kind of claws. That'd be a way for them to kind of come out, like, Freddy style out of, you know, Never on Street 2, where he kind of, like, comes out of the body, essentially. Um, I think that'd be a way to do it. I think, like, almost, you know, almost make the, Fred, uh, make the red face demon like Freddy-ish in terms of, like, this, like, haunting nightmare, you know? I think that would be cool. Um, 
And I think you're gonna have a fault with Dalton's kids. Actually, you know, have it be Dalton's brother, Dalton's little brother. You know, he does. He was mm-hmm. like nobody. As of right now, nobody's aware that he can dream walk. Have it be that he gets possessed. And have it be this mm-hmm. horror movie. And you know, I know Insidious likes having the SI in Insidious be red. I don't know what that means. I don't. In, inside is it in? C. In, it's it I N S I S red Dios. I don't. I don't get it. But maybe make it possession and have the S I still be red to that way. That way, you know, it's linking. See, you know? the door is red. Yes. Get the fuck out of here, Mui Mui Uh, Like you know, maybe maybe that may like that could be interesting. Um, (laughs) Like I think that could be interesting. I want to see like I want to take this movie into an R rating. You know, get rid of some of the feel goodness of it and actually see like what the danger of the demon possessing the body actually is. Mm Because other than because a lot of people who grew up watching these movies, who like the Insidious or Conjuring movies, were their first foray into horror. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that that might be kind of a little bit of a change for them. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. I don't know. I, I want to see more of that. I want to stay the fuck out of the further, though. Make the further some final boss thing or make it something like that. But maybe, you know, drop the further element of it and have it be people just with possession. Because in the end, the further is just a way to view possession, right? So they could bring it back mm-hmm. to a kind of a traditional poltergeist uh, exorcist thing where it is just demonic possession. Because in Insidious, you know, when Lynn Shay's wearing the fucking gas mask and talking and whispering to the, like, they're performing essentially like an exorcism at that point. So we, we do see these elements of that work. So I'd say make it, you know, do make it the same universe, have the same demon maybe be the connecting line between them, but have it go in a different direction. Instead of exploring this astral projection world, have it be approaching it from the real world and how they deal with that. I think that could be interesting. Um, that would be my, my idea for the sequel. Um, again, or the sinister route, go that way. I would, yeah, I would I like, like to see too. that. Yeah. Uh, cool, cool, but, cool. Yeah, that's, Can I just that's say my too, sequel. I, I don't know how the, the, the actress who plays Elise, Lynn Shay, I don't know. She's one of those actors that like I've recognized, but I've never really recognized how much she's been in. Oh, she's in everything. Like, dude, let me let me go down and just read off. I'm on her Wikipedia page right now. She got started in 1975 with Hester Street. Um, she was in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. She was in Critters. She was in Critters 2, The Running Man. Um, Loaded Weapon, which is the best, like, one of the best parody movies ever made. It's a parody of Lethal Weapon. It's fantastic. Um, Amityville, A New Generation, the original Dumb and Dumber, the sequel to Dumb and Dumber. There's something about Mary, me, myself, and Irene, Detroit Rock City, Man of the Year, Boat Trip. Uh, And she's in a shit ton of, like, National Lampoon stuff, too. Like, you remember how National Lampoon was putting out all those college comedies? Like, National Lampoon, Double D, National Lampoon's barely legal, shit like that. Um, she's on a million of those. Uh, Cinderella Story with Hilary Duff. Uh, oh, classic. Got Snakes on a Plane. Like, 50 different National Lampoon movies. This this woman is, like, literally 8 or 10 movies a year. It's insane. You know what I want now? Change everything I said. I want the... <laughs> uh, I want a conglomerate of all her movies together. I want it to be, um, like, uh, the, the Incredible Weight of Massive Talent. But Lin Shay. I think, uh, I don't know, the subpar weight of, you know, like, I don't know, present talent. And it's just her, like, all her <laughs> movies, like, coming. Like, you know, my name is Bruce. I want, my name is Lin. And, like, it's, <laughs> she's doing all, going through all her movies and stuff. It's uh, a great time. Because, you know, I, I feel like she would be someone who I would want to go talk to at a, uh, um, yeah, at a, at a horror convention. I mean, I feel like I would start talking to her. I've, 
I, I, I can't tell if she'd be a good person or like, sorry, Elise uh, or Lin Shay. I can't tell if you're a good person or if you'd be mad and angry at me <laughs> for talking to you. <laughs> uh-huh. I think she would have some incredible stories though. Like oh, she's absolutely. seen so much. I bet, I bet she has, uh, and uh, this is terrible to say, I bet she has had some very interesting uh, encounters with people, I'm sure. Mm. And I feel like she is, she's trucking too. Like how old is she? If she were to look at how old is she? Uh, I just closed it out. Let me find it real quick. Uh, she is currently... Ba, 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 ba. She's uh, in the quarry. Age is not, yeah. yeah, her age is not listed on Wikipedia. I don't know. Ageless. Ageless. I don't know, just like Keanu. There we go. That's what we uh, got here. She, uh, 79 years old. She was born in 1943. Damn. Wait. Oh, my God. Wait a second. Damn. Wait a second. Wait a what now? Holy shit. She's related to Rob Shea. That's she, Rob Shea is her brother. He found a New Line Cinema. That, that's why she's in Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah, that makes sense. Holy crap. That is crazy. Okay, that makes a lot of sense why she's in so many things. Her, her uh-huh. brother fucking owned the production company. Uh, which doesn't say that's like, you know, I think that, that may have started her off, but like her talent. Oh, no, she's, she, great. she's fine in everything I've seen her in. Yeah. Like, I have nothing against her as an actress. I think she's been fine. Uh, Robert Shea was also in Loaded Weapon, um, just as an <laughs> FYI. He has got a minor role. Seriously, that movie is amazing. I highly recommend it. If you, if you like spoof movies, it is wonderful. Basically. So many of the movies that she was in, he he had a part in, uh, which is hilarious. Oh, man, if only she was in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I could have seen her as a hobbit. That would have been amazing. Yeah. I would have been, been here for that. But, oh, wait. Okay, never mind. Uh, I, thought, mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought she was in the uh, new Nightmare on Elm Street. But apparently she is two different characters and critters, but they have similar names. Mm. She is uh, she's Sally in the first Critters, and she's Sal in the second Critters. <laughs> but apparently they're two different characters. So, classic Len Shea. Classic. Uh, Good stuff. Gotta love it. Um, anyway. Awesome. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for Insidious, the last, the red, the last red door. <laughs> Wait, is it called the last, last door or the it, no, it's the red door. It's okay, the last you. key, the red door. I had the two mixed up at that point. And I, I have a feeling that five years from today, you're going to say, I don't remember the plot of the red door. I don't remember the plot of the last key. And I think when I remember them, I just mix the two of them together. That's what I think is going to happen. So, I really wish 3 had a better subtitle. 3 should have got a better subtitle. What was the subtitle for 3? There wasn't one. Uh, it's just Insidious 3. I feel like it should have been called, like, I don't know. 3 Insidious in three, yeah, in three city trace. <laughs> well, actually, so I guess insidious for their red letters, they they ca- they redded each of the eyes. So there's three eyes in insidious. So insidious uh, chapter three, uh, clever, clever. Wait, what does insidious chapter two have? No, insidious chapter two is just the si again. All right, I gotcha. See, and see, senor. Last key of any? No, last key is the same. Uh, let's see. Wait, what's this one? There's one called thread in insidious tale, which apparently is TBA. So that's coming out, baby. We're getting another one. Wait, maybe, maybe Thread is going to be about the um, the dude because didn't he have like a didn't he have like a sewing wheel in his thing in the first movie? Didn't he? He had a sewing wheel. Am I, I imagining this? I, I think he had a sewing wheel. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think I think he did. This is going to be my ideal. This is going to be it. This is going to be uh, the actual uh, story of the red faced demon. And apparently, it solves. Apparently Mandy Moore and Camille Nanjiani are going to be in it. Okay, I'm fucking sold. All right. Mandy I thought Moore, I was absolutely. out. They pulled me back in. I'm coming back. <laughs> you got me, Insidious. I'm, I'm hooked. <laughs> Just when you thought I was out, you brought me right back in. All right. 
Well, we'll review that in a couple of years as this podcast is going to last forever. Um, <laughs> we have signed a blood contract with a demon, so we can't stop it if we wanted to. Uh, but yeah, anyway, thank you so much for listening. Once again, this has been Pretty Obscure Heads Talk Horror Movies. Um, thank you so much to our opening band. That is Teddy's Atlas with the Son Horror Movie Story. You can get that out the Elven Children of the Corn. They are good, good Canadian boys. Uh, once again, we are deciding we're going to try and get one more episode up before I do go on my honeymoon slash uh, vacation. Uh, but if not, we'll try and see if we can't do something in the meantime in a break. Otherwise, uh, that's going to be that. Uh, we are active on social media as well, both Facebook and Instagram, constantly responding to messages that we get on in. So if you do have any requests, let us know. We would be more than happy to do an episode on it. Uh, it may take some time, but we'll get around to it eventually unless it's something really, really weird. But at the same time, we've also done Blood for Dracula and Flesh for Frankenstein, which was a fan request. And um, I don't picture a movie getting much more weird than that. So the, the, the leniency facts. is very wide on that front <laughs> yeah guys but thank you so much to everyone for listening and stay groovy bye